0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to episode 66 of the Rad Media Podcast, the podcast about free speech, the news of the day, politics, culture, ideas, or wherever the conversation will take me. I'm your host, Jack Daryl, flying solo today. It's been a while since I've done this. It's been around six months. A few people have requested that I uh, start talking about things again, and we've got a lot to talk about over the next few months. There's a U.S. election, and... Even bigger than that, I think there's been something going on in the last six months, something to do with a pandemic. Not sure. Maybe you've maybe you've heard of it, but uh, we're trying something a little different as well. If you're watching on YouTube, we've got uh, video going, and I'm trialing something with uh, with images as well, to so you can see what I'm uh, referencing. But uh, if you are listening on YouTube be sure to subscribe and hit the notification bell to know when new episodes go live. And if you're listening to us on any good podcast service, be sure to subscribe, follow, like, whatever that particular app uh, requires. But if it doesn't have us, I mean, quite frankly, you just need to uh, delete that app off your phone, off any device, because quite frankly, it is not good in our eyes. Now, um, before we get into the main topic of the show today, which we're going to be talking about international travel, which was one of the first things to really be taken off the table in terms of our day-to-day lives. I know a lot of people might think, well, you know, travel is more of a uh, a once-a-year, maybe once-a-decade type event. But international travel is a big part of the global economy and really a part of the culture at large and that was taken away very, very early on and it'll probably be one of the last things to return. But before we do, I want to just, as of the 23rd of August here in Australia, I just uh, will go to the coronavirus figures. There are around 23.1 million cases so far. It's important to note that 14.8 million of those figures have recovered. About 7.5 million are currently active cases, 802,000 deaths, roughly speaking. And when you take into account all cases and deaths, about 3.47% death rate. That's important to note because a lot of people are looking at population figures. Um, I think that's hard to use when looking at a new virus. I think it's important to look at the actual cases. It is important to note also that there are many more people with this, um, or have had this virus. Uh, These are just positive confirmed cases. We know for a fact at this point, China had a hell of a lot more than 84,000 cases. Uh, They've, have not really recorded officially a new case in a very very long time uh, it always seemed very odd that their figures were what they were um it was even speculated by the u.s in as early as april that figure could have been well over a million and it's very possible it was even higher than that um let's actually look at australia's figures because that is where we're coming from here and if you're on YouTube, you'll see the first slide here. We've got 24,000 confirmed cases, about four and a half uh, active, and we've seen 485 deaths. In Australia, we actually have a lower fatality rate for confirmed cases at just under 2%. Again, I do believe that figure is lower, and this is due to the number of asymptomatic people, especially in Uh, younger people, probably younger than 35, 40 years old, a lot of uh, people that that have the virus at that age really aren't showing any symptoms. And so it's very reasonable to think that Australia's figures could be as high as 100,000, maybe even higher, but a lot of younger folk that are getting it are, are really just experiencing maybe a mild cold at best and are thinking, well... There's no point in getting tested. Do you, when you consider, especially in Australia and really a lot of places, if you are found to be positive, you really have to sort of isolate yourself from the world for two weeks. And I do believe a lot of people are weighing up the pros and cons of that and are saying, well, look, I've only got a mild case. We also know the milder cases aren't as transmissible as, as others. So I do think a lot of people are sort of uh, not getting tested if they are experiencing symptoms. So it's important to note also there's been a a big figure sort of rolling around, which is that the survival rate is 99.99%. And what they're using for that is actually the uh, death rate per population. And what we know is right now per million people worldwide 101 have died from this virus now that seems very high but when you bring it to a percentage it's about 0.01 of a percent that people are dying from this virus worldwide but 99 percent of the population quite frankly really has not had this virus so it's, it's a, a bit of a misleading figure and I, th- I know that that has been pushed out so i I'd, I figure I'd mention that as well. Uh, it is. It was initially believed and put out there by the World Health Organization that the death rate was around 3.4%, and funnily enough, when you take into account confirmed deaths and confirmed cases, right now, it is still at that 3.4%, but it is widely believed right now it is probably far closer to about 0.4% or 0.5%. And I think it's important to recognise that if there are 200 people that get the virus, only one will die. 199 should survive, even if we go off that 3% figure as well. Yes, the it seems quite high when you extrapolate that to a full uh, population in Australia, 25 million. You'll end up with around 30 or 40,000 deaths and that is quite high. But... I don't think, now that we know more about this virus, it's possible that you know, they say the flu death rate is around 0.1% every year. And it's crazy now that we have more information. And we, it's, it's easy to say this, obviously, six months down the, down the line. Because at the time, we really did not know what we were walking into and it was very possible the death rate was high as 3 4 5 6% and now we know it's much lower it's time to start thinking about opening things up again because livelihoods when it comes down to it is an incre- is maybe the most important thing that like of, of everything the economy is the most important thing. At the end of the day, people care about most putting food on the table for their families. And it has been incredibly, incredibly tough for so many people worldwide due to this because governments have shut down their businesses and basically said it is no longer, you're just flat out, no longer allowed to trade even if you follow safety protocols. But the first business or industry that really was affected by this far more than any other was the airline industry. And it's understandable. Back in March, virus, it's very easy that everything is... The transmissible rate was quite high and we knew that airline travel was the number one cause. (laughs) Because quite frankly, it would very, very slowly, uh, you know, it might reach Mongolia. It could have reached other parts of Asia, but getting to the rest of the world would have been very difficult without air travel. So understandably, it was all shut down very quickly. But now we're starting to think about when will it open again? Because... It seems crazy to say, but some, some companies are uh, stating that it might not be until 2022 or later, or later. Virgin Airlines Australia uh, went into administration quickly after this shutdown and has recently been uh, bought, uh, bought out. And the new boss stated that he expects the company to lag behind other uh, other companies in terms of international travel. But he said, I think our company will be returning to international travel in 2023, but we will not be that far behind other companies. Basically saying, don't even think next year is an option. And I think this is incredibly worrying Thing to take into account. Now, a few months ago, our prime minister basically stated that there's nothing on our radar which would see us opening up international travel in the foreseeable future. And even so, much as uh, talking about it last month on a current affair, funnily enough, he basically said travel beyond our borders is not foreseeable and without a vaccine it is is going to be very challenging and we need to just focus on the day to day before thinking about anything ahead and it's important to note in australia has outright banned travel overseas even stating that even if you were able to get an exemption basically if you're able to provide aid or things of that nature like what would be considered an essential service the the uh, alarm bell that we've been told for the last six months that flights even still might be difficult to find. All travel insurance policies are not covering COVID-19. So if you get COVID-19 and you are hospitalized, it is going to be incredibly expensive. And returning to Australia right now, you automatically have to go into 14 days of mandatory quarantine in a hotel. You don't actually even get access to your own house, you get picked up from the airport, taken straight to a hotel, and you're not allowed to leave. Um, Even um, consulates are not operating uh, fully. I'll leave that on screen if you're on YouTube so you can continue to read that. But international travel is looking incredibly unlikely, even though if you were to grab people under the age of 50, the... So the survival rate is 99.99% quite frankly unless you have some serious underlying issue you will survive this this illness this virus so we need to start thinking about the ways to open not just the economy but this is going to be the big, this might actually be the last step and so we need to start thinking about the last step first because if we can find the road to the final step it'll make the others far easier to climb and this is where it gets incredibly troubling because as of friday qantas released their uh their figures for the last financial year and they've uh, claimed a two billion dollar loss And they've outright said they've cancelled all international flights for the current financial year. And in Australia, the financial year finishes the 30th of June 2021. So we are just over 10 months from the earliest possible chance at leaving the country. That is actually quite terrifying. In the in the reveal, Alan Joyce basically stated that he didn't expect travel to start in the first half of the year, even with a vaccine, because he does not expect vaccine take up, even if made mandatory, which is a story for another day. Won't get to herd immunity levels by the time uh, the first half of the year is concluded. So, and that's in the best case scenario that a vaccine works, yada, yada, yada. Things are going to have to budge here because Qantas is really Australia's airline. On November 16th, it turns 100 and it is possible that it won't make it to 101 or 102 due to no fault of its own. And that's the, the case for many, many, many businesses out there. And in Australia, there were hopes of travel between Australia and New Zealand and maybe other uh, nations nearby to us, but the recent uh, boom of cases in Victoria has... I mean, New Zealand's just outright cancelled all flights to Australia this year, and... It's unreasonable to think that it's going to go longer than that. Tasmania has called off all flights this year as well. But what is the real road out of this? Because this is a virus that is likely going to be with us for the rest of our lives and beyond. This is a a new for the sake of argument, a new strain of flu. I know it's different. I know it's different. This is just something that is going to be with us from now, you know, time immemorial. But how does this look moving forward? How are we going to travel? Do you have to prove you've had a vaccine to get on a plane? Do you maybe need an antibody test with a certificate that says, I've had COVID, I've beaten COVID, therefore I am safe to re-enter society. And I think that that is going to be a very likely scenario. But what about this? Why is it outright illegal to leave the country? Shouldn't an individual, if they know all the risks... Know that they can't get insurance. Know all the financial perils that could be thrust upon them were they to uh, contract a, a serious case of COVID. Shouldn't they be allowed to leave? Shouldn't they even be told, hey, when you come back, you have to go into your two weeks uh, in the hotels, a man- mandatory quarantine, but you have to pay, even if it's a uh, $1,000, even if it costs more, you know, you have to pay this set fee, not just to fly back, but also to... Shouldn't people be allowed to take on that risk? Especially people under the age of 50. The current age of death in Australia to COVID is higher than the life expectancy age. So, and even Peter Sutton... Sutton, I know Sutton's his last name, our uh, chief medical officer in Victoria has stated that all deaths are not people that have died from COVID-19, but people that have died with COVID-19. And it's important to note that because yes, we've had 485 deaths and that might not be including the figure that has come out today. So that might've just ticked over 500. But... Deaths have been calculated with people who just simply have the disease in their system. He's even mentioned that people in palliative care that have ultimately died have COVID, but haven't necessarily died from it, just with it. So ultimately, this virus is not as serious as was initially feared. And as we said, it's easy to look back now and go, oh, we were so crazy back in March, but we did not know what we were walking into. On the current path, it is unlikely that travel will resume next year. I I simply don't see it as an option because I just don't, even if in the next six months, a vaccine is made available, I see it as highly unlikely that even if made mandatory, we'll get to enough people that we will achieve herd immunity. And then they. I think all countries are going to be very, very hesitant to open up the borders. It is very possible they might just say the Olympics next year is the first... Uh, place you can go, which will be Japan. Japan are very conservative in that nature, so I think it's very likely the Olympics are going to be uh, spectator-free, which is kind of crazy to imagine, considering it really is designed to bring the world together. But I, th- I think it's time that people should have the right to leave. Tomorrow, quite frankly. And I think that this is a, an area that a lot of people have just accepted and pushed to the back burner because it was the first thing taken away. And now there's far more serious things in terms of the day-to-day that people are far more concerned about. But they haven't actually realized the extent of the f- – they're only focusing here, but they're not looking outside the box right now. And international travel is one of those things outside the box. Because it's very possible that airlines—I mean, airlines—are going to struggle to survive this. Anyway, this is a mad ramble brought to you by by me today about international travel. I hope you enjoyed it. We'll be back another time this week. I know I want to talk about the upcoming U.S. election, and I want to go probably further in depth to uh, what has been happening in Victoria, quite frankly, because it's been quite insane over the last few months but I want to thank you very much for listening along to this it's uh fun to be back it's uh, we'll get that we'll get the rhythm of it going I want to thank you for listening along have yourselves a fantastic day we'll see you later